0: anyone and everyone welcome to Have You heard about this case my name is sam and
1: my name is
0: kelly there is a case in the headlines in our very
1: current timeline that has unfolded in ohio and the surrounding area we're going to talk about the murderer turned escapee fugitive bradley gillespie but before we get into what's happening in that case we always have our question at the top sam what is it today
0: so, right before we hit record, we are talking about our youth and cell phones. So, I want to know, when you got your first cell phone, and what was it? If you remember what type of phone it was.
1: That's such a good question. I was 15 years old, and that would have made it, like, we're talking early aughts, and... I got a cell phone because I started doing after-school activities. The only thing I remember about this cell phone was... It it was one of, like, the um, bricks. Like, you don't fold it. There's no... It's just, like, a tiny sort of cordless phone that you put in your pocket. Right. Um, And shortly after that, I got... A flip phone and the case of it was lime green. I had that for a while. <laughs> and I did at one point own the peak 2000s item. I owned a Motorola, a blush pink razor.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. I had the crazer at one point, like the smaller version.
1: Girl, I, but I don't miss, I don't know about you, I don't know if you hit this, but I don't miss anything more than my Blackberry sometimes. <laughs>
0: See, I never had a BlackBerry. Oh, you weren't exposed to the
1: CrackBerry.
0: No, I know everyone who had them absolutely loved them. And I always wanted one. But a big reason I never got one was because where I grew up in Wisconsin, they were kind of pointless. Mm -hmm. Because there weren't good towers for them. And like it was just like you could barely use it. And it wasn't worth Mm. the functions it had. So, like, our sales stores didn't even, like, offer them to the customers.
1: I, yeah, I see that. I see that. That, you know, I was, I was in a fairly suburban area. So, there were, there were still sticky spots. Like, there were spots where you were always going to get, your text was going to take an extra, like, 10 minutes to get there. But I still, I, I was in college. I was a freshman in college when I, or senior. In high school. So we're talking 09, 2010, when I got my first BlackBerry. And I was and am obsessed with it. I have an iPhone now. I think about my BlackBerry, I would say once every two months. And I have what I can. Oh, that's o- funny. I can only describe the, my feeling as an intense longing for my BlackBerry.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. I think I have like an off brand BlackBerry like it looked like a blackberry but it totally wasn't mm-hmm. as my like last phone before I upgraded to an iPhone in like 2013.
1: Yes. Do you remember the first iPhone iteration where No, I jumped in so
0: late. I I didn't I got an iPhone at 4 or 5, iPhone 4 or
1: 5. I same but I was wondering if you had any friends who were like bougie early adopters.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, again, there was no no signal for it. Like we, our area didn't get like iPhones until uh, the three or four or five or something like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. The the only reason I ask is I had a friend who was like a bougie early adopter and she got a first generation iPhone. And one of the problems with the first generation iPhone was it was totally like stainless steel encased. Like it was just, and the longer you chalked on it and or used it, the hotter and hotter. Oh, really? Hot. Yes. And people were burning. They were burning
0: their faces and ears on their
1: iPhone. I remember I it. remember
0: I remember it so vividly. 2004 I and I remember this very vividly because it was one of those things where like you this person was like it was incredible that they had it but I was working at this little tiny ice cream shop I was 14 and someone did come in with I think was this the iPod it was an iPhone wasn't out yet I think it was the big brick iPod. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. They came into my ice cream shop with one of those and they were they were a runner. And so oh. they like were coming in for an ice cream after their run. And I remember looking at them and I saw the headphones. Oh. And like you saw the commercials mm-hmm, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, whoa, you got one whoa. of those? Oh
1: yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then eventually they got really, really tiny. And they were like tiny iPods you can clip to your belt, and then they realized we already. Oh yeah, and I
0: always, I still have my brick one in a drawer, like right over by my desk here, <laughs> just sitting in the drawer over there. In
1: design, they ended up going back to like the bigger bricker ones because, like, yeah. they're
0: more the convenient. People would lose they're them. They're more and convenient. There was no space. Yeah, you couldn't hold your no fifty thousand songs or yeah, whatever. Yeah,
1: it's a tiny little thing you clip on your running shorts. I have so many opinions about this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could probably do a whole episode on just talking about this, but we should probably get to the case. Yeah.
1: And so this case is one, it's still very much unfolding, like in real time, in the news currently in our timeline. For Sam and I, as we record this, this happened two weeks ago. So by the time you hear it, oh, oh, yes, ma'am. And so by the time you guys hear it, it'll be roughly two and a half weeks after what has happened, happened. But we're going to start at the beginning and the really, because it's still unfolding in real time, I don't have much background on how the criminal Bradley Gillespie grew up a criminal or his history beyond what we're about to start with. The other really unfortunate thing is that there's also really scant information on the victims of the double murder Gillespie committed.
0: Double murder.
1: Yes, yes, ma'am. A double murder. And it should be noted that I visited 11 separate websites searching for this information. But the lens on the media right now is very much focused on Gillespie, which is unfortunate. Because we we just don't have much background there. But what we do have is a ton of receipts on the crime that happened from a phenomenal source that I stumbled upon called casetext.com. So if you guys are looking up stuff. Oh, nice. Casetext preserved all the records of Gillespie's appeal, the state of Ohio v. Gillespie, 2017. So I am going to start with just, like I said, the scant information we have That predicates this crime. And it's a little surprising how small the information is that we have that it would lead to something like it did.
0: Well, just the fact that it's so recent. I feel like a lot of more recent cases you find up so much more because the Internet has been around for so much longer.
1: The recentness of it is more the latter half of what Gillespie is
0: doing, like what he's up to. The crime, it was January of 2016. Still recent, though. Just, like, people living their lives on the internet, finding out about mm-hmm. the victims. You, I would say at that point, it's fairly simple overall, unless the person's not social media user. Yeah. Just to find about their personality and their life. You
1: guys, I looked. I couldn't even find an obit for either. Wow. Either. Yes. And so these two victims. In January of 2016, Gillespie had become a meth user, and he was known to wider circles as such. Frank Tracy Jr., who is one of the people we were just speaking of, he was 47 at the time of the crime. And Hannah Fisher, who was 21, resided together in Paulding, Ohio. Paulding? I know. Different
0: Paulding. Paulding. We
1: got a lot of Pauldings. And- Unfortunately, this is the only documentation I have left of these two poor people who were murdered by him. But Frank and Hannah were known to these wider circles frequented by Gillespie to also be meth users. And Frank was known to sell the drug. Bradley Gillespie had, quote, on occasion, purchased his meth from Frank. And he knew Hannah through Frank. But they were said to just be acquaintances.
0: Okay, like all three of them acquaintances? Or... Frank and Hannah, they live together. I think... Something more.
1: Yeah, I think it was Frank and Hannah live together something more. And Frank and Bradley were much more on like a talkative basis. What I would say is that he had at best a fleeting relationship with this couple that considered mostly of buying the drug and using the drug. Okay. That's if I had to use
0: my imagination. Kind of sounds like a casual dealership type of relationship. It
1: seems to be a little more between Bradley and Frank. They seem to be a little closer than that, but not far off. Everything is predicated around the using of the meth. Okay. As the official case records list, quote, sometime in January 2016... So we don't have a date for that. Frank and Bradley had quote an altercation, and during this fight, Frank had pointed an unloaded gun at Gillespie's head and pulled the trigger.
0: Oh wow!
1: In testimony from the trial, we learned that Bradley was unaware that the gun was unloaded. Oh yeah, so even scarier. So Gillespie think you know he really does think that he's about to
0: buy the farm. Wow, that's that's crazy your assumption is that it is loaded.
1: Right, right. You guys, meth is a hell of a drug. Right. So this was said to have made Bradley upset and angry, according to the court. So it made it to the court record that he was upset and angry, that Frank had, quote, scared him. So it sounds to me like Bradley was upset that he had shown some sort of weakness to Frank, and this made him incredibly hostile.
0: Well, showing weakness, when I'll, a- Gun is pointed at you? I, I wouldn't call that weakness.
1: No, I wouldn't either. It's just that I'm trying to put myself in the brain of someone who would behave this way and I'm right. wondering if this crime happened because it- he was not wanting to appear weak ever in in any case
0: yeah he always had to be the tough guy. I just like I understand where your logic's coming from, but the like you have a gun pointed at you. Mm-hmm. You're defenseless, yeah. And so this made him incredibly hostile as I mean, I'm sure a lot
1: of us it would make us incredibly hostile. but all of us would not take the path that Bradley does. and Apparently, he was so incredibly upset over this altercation that after it happened, he asked his co worker slash ex girlfriend, Esmeralda Ferguson, to borrow her Glock 22.40 caliber handgun to scare Frank as revenge.
0: It's not a good idea. No. We don't like
1: it. Ferguson gave Bradley her handgun on the evening of February 1st, 2016, which Esmeralda, no. Yeah, not
0: a good idea. <laughs> no, don't give it to him. Anyone wants to borrow your handgun, it's no, no matter
1: what, it's a bad idea. Yes. So she has given it to him. And this handgun is by far the most popular service pistol. And the caliber 40 here refers to what Glock calls the, quote, Potent forty Smith & Wesson cartridge.
0: Do we know if she gave the gun to him loaded? I do
1: not know. However, I know that it will be loaded shortly.
0: I would assume so. Because
1: not wasting any time at all, the next evening, February 2nd, found Gillespie riding together with Frank and Hannah, and they're partying in a red 2016 Jeep that was regularly used by Frank. And this is why I mentioned that I think their relationship was like a little closer because they were like actively in the car together. They were like using the the three were using drugs at the time. It's not specified what drugs, but I would assume methamphetamines because that's been what this whole relationship has been about. But Mm -hmm. they're partying. There's drug usage. The record does not reflect what time in the evening this was. But at some time along this ride, Bradley Gillespie shot both Hannah and Frank with the Glock. Both Frank and Hannah were killed as a result of gunshot wounds to the
0: head. Wow. He just went
1: right to it. Right, exactly. He wasted no time. Borrowed the gun one day, the next day he did it. And so it's not well preserved Like how long they were partying Or anything like that, but we've got something close to a timeline coming in here, because at 1 a.m. on February 3rd, so like just barely February 3rd, he, Gillespie, maybe just hours after the crime, depending on the time of the evening, Gillespie went to Community Memorial Hospital in Hicksville, Ohio, where he complained of a laceration to his right wrist that was treated. The doctor examining this wound, Dr. Kui, noted that the laceration was approximately four centimeters in
0: length. Okay, so it's not a tiny cut.
1: I got. No, something worth attention. And according to medical records presented at Gillespie's trial, Bradley told Dr. Kui that the injury to his wrist had occurred approximately two hours prior to his arrival at the hospital. If Gillespie's not lying, then we can determine that he killed Frank and Hannah at around 11 p.m. February 2nd.
0: Mm-hmm. Which puts him in that timeline of, of riding around the night before.
1: Right. Right. So that's kind of rough, but creates a window.
0: It's a small window of time. Like, it's, it's not... But it a, makes sense. Two days. It's, it's a few hours. So yeah. And it continues,
1: you'll see. Bradley Gillespie works incredibly quickly because the same day he was treated at the hospital at 1 a.m., Gillespie also returned to work. He carried with him the handgun that had become his murder weapon and returned it to Esmeralda Ferguson.
0: Just done. Here we go. Have it back. Exactly.
1: You're welcome. At trial, Ferguson testified that she asked Bradley what had happened with her gun. And that's a fair question, I would say. Yeah. Another really good reason, folks, not to lend out your handgun. So she asked him, and Gillespie replied that he, quote, shot him, referring here to Frank, in the head, and threw him in the river. So. Okay. Uh, He's honest. I was going to say, straight up. So, Esmeralda went on to testify that Gillespie tried to purchase her handgun from her, but that she had refused. He's trying to, at this point, maybe cover his tracks, at
0: least own that gun. Right. Get it out of her hands, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he's
1: trying. I think that's what he's trying to do here is get the evidence out of her hands because it is. It's a hot gun. But she refused. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't. And she claimed that she did not immediately contact law enforcement due to her fear of Bradley's comments about what happened to Frank.
0: Which, like, I wish she did immediately contact them. But I also understand that. Like, that uh, has to be a terrifying situation. Yeah, that
1: is very scary. Knowing that someone is capable of, do- if they're telling the truth, uh, someone is capable of that. And
0: you, they are co-workers at this point. Mm-hmm. And they, she, you said that she was his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So she knows him on a personal level. And she very likely knows about his drug use. Yes. More than likely. Like, you haven't said that at this point, but right. if they used to be in a relationship and they still are talking and working together, you, you probably know. She's probably aware. Meth is one of those things, like, I think that there are definitely people who can hide it. hmm But I think that's a difficult thing to do. I do
1: as well. I definitely think that she probably knew he was using... And perhaps that's why he was her ex-boyfriend.
0: Yeah, but also a reason why you shouldn't put a gun in his hand. Yes,
1: exactly. But another great reason to reinforce, like, why she was scared.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it could even be, like, she was scared to say no to him in the beginning. Like, like you, you don't know the situation. Right, and
1: he's your co-worker. You're together so often. What if he found out? And then you two were just alone in the building
0: together. Right, exactly. I understand her fear. Yeah,
1: Six days later, on February 9th, Hannah's body was found in her apartment. An autopsy revealed that the cause of her death was a single gunshot wound to the head. Crime scene investigators concluded that Hannah's body had been pulled into her apartment and that the location where her body was discovered was not where she had been killed.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm- Did they find the car? Oh. Or you might not get to that yet. We'll find the car. <laughs> like, going like ahead. No, we'll find
1: the car, baby. The investigators had determined that there was little blood inside the apartment, but there was a substantial amount in the driver and passenger side seats of the red 2016 Jeep.
0: There we go. Okay.
1: <laughs> and it had been parked right outside Hannah and Frank's apartment. So he just so so he just casually risk
0: getting caught. He yeah, he casually exactly, exactly. left
1: that car right in front of their apartment.
0: Well, also I'm thinking you you're bringing her inside. Like you're gonna risk people seeing you do that, right? When you're leaving the car out front, mm-hmm. like that's just a lot of risk for six days. Yeah, of time.
1: And I'm not sure how relevant it is, but the investigators also determined that the driver's side window of the Jeep was broken out and covered with a blanket. I don't know if that just means that their window was busted or if it was like to cover the blood. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I wonder if like a bullet went through it and shattered it or something. Yeah.
1: That's what I'm wondering. The blood collected by investigators from inside the Jeep revealed Frank Tracy Jr.'s DNA in the driver's seat and Hannah Fisher's DNA in the passenger seat. They also recovered a spent shell casing in the rear passenger seat area of the car.
0: So he was in the back seat.
1: This shell casing was later determined to be fired from Ferguson's handgun.
0: Which at this point just makes sense. Yeah, it just makes sense. And we
1: talked about this a little bit off air, but it's leaving a shell casing is just it's you're gonna get caught if you leave
0: yeah you're you're gonna get caught and i feel like especially in a situation like this that's such an like an oversight right you're in a confined location it's not like it could just be anywhere
1: right and it, it speaks to me a little bit to like Okay, so this is definitely, like, a drug-related crime. Like, you were super high on Mm -hmm. meth, because the only way you would leave behind uh, spent shell casing from the murder weapon is if you're super high on meth, I guess, in my opinion.
0: Or or just, like, the rage of it all, which the rage of it comes from the meth. Right,
1: exactly. So, in a bizarre move that may have happened before the DNA was found, police determined on finding Hannah's body that Frank Tracy her ex-boyfriend was their suspect and even filed a warrant for his arrest.
0: So that just makes it even easier. hmm Like, there's no doubt at this point.
1: <laughs> because there's nothing yet to place Gillespie in that car. And the only body they have is mm-hmm. Hannah. So they are like, okay, well, Frank Tracy has to be our dude. Even though they have a ton of DNA blood from him in this Jeep, I... I I don't know. I'm not sure. But they even
0: filed a warrant for his arrest. Oh, I was totally mixing up the names there. I was thinking Frank was Bradley. No. Yeah. I was like, oh, it totally makes sense. They have his DNA. Like everything fits. Yeah. <laughs> OK, that I get that now. Okay. No, yeah, they
1: have a they have they have blood evidence, A sub- as they said, a substantial amount of blood evidence from Frank Tracy in that Jeep. So I I don't know what their thinking pattern here was, that he was a suspect.
0: Well, it, 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 it could be a substantial amount of blood. That doesn't mean life-threatening. I don't know. So it could have been a fight where he was wounded, and mm-hmm. he's just not there to defend himself. Right. And uh, we're going to find out that he obviously was not involved in the murder itself.
1: Yes. Yes. Because, on March 4th, 2016, just shy of a month after the crime, Esmeralda Ferguson at last turned over her Glock handgun to the Paulding Police Department. Good for her. Yes. Ultimately, testing at the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation revealed the handgun contained Frank's DNA. So, the entire time, despite finding all the blood in the vehicle, the police may have been pursuing Tracy as their suspect at this point
0: which i do understand like he's not there he's not
1: there yes he's not there to defend himself and you just found his dna on the gun Mm -hmm. but all this to say they're looking into him meaning they're not looking you know meaning gillespie is getting a longer and longer window to take advantage of this
0: so when esmeralda turned in the gun did she say that it was gillespie
1: she has testimony later. I'll quote it. I don't recall a direct quote of it, but I believe at some point she goes on record saying she loaned the handgun to Gillespie. Okay, I'm not sure. It's just
0: it's interesting to me that that wasn't like brought up early in like the documents that she said it, and they were still looking at right. Frank Tracy. Right, so. That is interesting to me. Yes.
1: I don't know. I don't know what she said to the cops when she turned it in. But she does eventually go on to testify about it. And so, like we said, all that time, police may have still been pursuing Tracy as their suspect. But all that came to an end on March 15th, 2016, when Frank's body was discovered along the Maumee River in Rochester Cemetery near Cecil, Ohio. This is almost two and a half hours away from Paulding. So we can Oh wow. we can likely assume that Bradley did dump Frank in the river and that he was carried or that Gillespie drove that whole distance and dumped her there. I think it's a lot more likely.
0: I feel like there's not enough time for him to do that. To drive it? I agree. Yeah, because if he was in the hospital, yes, potentially two hours after. correct? Yeah. But also, how did he cut his arm? If he shot them both in the head.
1: I am also wondering that. Actually, wait, I think he goes on. There's I think there is more testimony in his trial documents that reflect when he
0: was stabbed. He was. OK, because I'm just like, because if, if he's in the ba- I'm thinking like, OK, he's in the back seat of the car. Right. He shoots them both in the head. Mm-hmm. So they're defenseless, probably not even looking in his direction.
1: Yeah, this so this is like a the one defensive wound that okay. did happen, but unfortunately, sort of a bring a knife to a gunfight scenario. Right. So I think the most likely thing is exactly what he what exactly what Bradley Gillespie said, which was he dumped him in the river, and and the river carried mm-hmm. him. To where they found him in Rochester Cemetery, in a cemetery already. They found his body. Right. Sheriff Jason Landers stated that the gun being given by Esmeralda and other, quote, valuable evidence led to the arrest of Bradley Gillespie for the murders of Frank and Hannah. And so I suppose that some of that, quote, valuable evidence could be early testimony from Esmeralda saying, I loaned this to. Bradley Gillespie. I don't know, but it's possible. Potentially, it's possible. Yes. Yeah. On March 28th, 2016, the Paulding grand jury returned a two count indictment against Gillespie, charging him with two counts of murder, each with a firearm specification. Seems pretty standard to me. Mm -hmm. The indictment alleged that on or about February 3rd, 2016, Gillespie, quote, purposely caused the death of Hannah Fisher and Frank A. Tracy Jr. The indictment further alleged that he had a firearm, quote, about his person or under his control while committing the offenses. Hence, the firearm specifications tacked to the murder charges.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a state. It is. Thing. It is correct. I don't think every state.
1: You're correct. It adds that up. You're correct. It is state by state, and in this case, in Ohio, you get your sentence for the murder, and then your firearm specification, from what I understand, always runs consecutively, and it is one year.
0: Oh, interesting. Yes.
1: So even when you're done serving whatever you have, you have that mandatory one year if you've been convicted of a firearm specification. And in this case here, he's getting accused of two. So whatever he right. does in the state of Ohio, he has to do another two years on top of it if he is convicted of that.
0: I, I don't know if I hate that. I don't either. I, don't, I think that's kind of a really interesting way of doing it. I think it's a
1: grand rule. I think it's a grand rule. It's it. I think, in my opinion, it
0: deters you from having a firearm. I think. Yeah, because we have such a a gun issue in our country. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I think
1: it should maybe even be a little higher, like a five year consecutive d- mandatory. depending on
0: the weapon, maybe.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like the type of firearm, and hmm. I've never heard that before. I find that very interesting. I found that
1: quite interesting as well when researching this. And it is state by state. So I'm not sure what other states would do. But this is what Ohio... Yeah,
0: I've just heard that like you could have like firearm specifications on charges. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know the outcome and like why that was so specifically called out in some states versus others. Huh. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. On September 26, 2016, the case progressed to a jury trial. Prior to the beginning of the trial, defense counsel requested a motion in Lemine. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, y'all, but basically what I know to be... I think it's Lemine. Okay, then a motion in Lemine. I just,
0: I feel like I heard that on the prosecutors. I could be wrong, but I feel like I've heard that before. <laughs> you
1: guys check out the prosecutors. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, they would they would be able to tell you how this is pronounced.
0: Yeah, I, I could be totally wrong. <laughs>
1: And I'm sure there are some of you there you just yelling out this answer,
0: but <laughs> right.
1: we'll, we'll say lemony. So basically what I know to be a request to the judge that certain testimony be redacted from the trial. And this motion is regarding statements that Bradley Gillespie had made to law enforcement officers who transported him from the correctional facility to court.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yes. The next day, the trial
0: judge granted
1: this motion in part having found that the officers interrogated Gillespie impermissibly without advising him of his Miranda rights.
0: You need that on, well, I guess, like, the It's funny that you ask that, Sam.
1: <laughs> it's funny that you ask if you need that. Because the motion was also denied in part finding that Gillespie had volunteered certain information to the officers, which does not require the advisement of his Miranda rights.
0: <laughs> well, I was just, cause like I understand if they interrogated him impermissibly, but do you need your Miranda rights in transportation from the, from the jail to the courthouse? You've already been read your Miranda rights at that point, right? Yes. I don't know if they
1: reread them to you. I don't know. And that's perhaps, interesting. perhaps that's where this fits in this category of the volunteered information.
0: Well, that's exactly what I mean. It's like, I understand if they interrogated him and they weren't supposed to do that, that I can understand right. being admitted from... from
1: Right, right. Redacted from trial. Yeah. But I imagine, yeah, that's why they have this sort of statute, uh, maybe so they don't have to read the Miranda rights every time they go to court. hmm However, because... Just like Sam had asked, because he had volunteered that information to officers, it doesn't require the advisement of your Miranda rights if you volunteer things to people. Mm -hmm. That's just a confession, Bradley.
0: (laughs) I want to know exactly what he said. Like, do we we have like exactly what he told him in the car?
1: We we don't. But we do have a couple of great people who do have stories of what Bradley Gillespie had to say. And they're coming up.
0: He just he can't be quiet, can he? he told the truth immediately?
1: He he cannot. He can't. That's I was gonna there was at one point of the script I had written, Well, he just can't shut up. And then I was like, Backspace, backspace, <laughs> backspace. I was like, try and be a little more positive here.
0: Hmm. Say <laughs> so the, the first person you asked, he told the truth to, Tasmer. Right. So.
1: Right. I'll let y'all guess at what point in the script. I was like, okay, <laughs> like he just can't shut up, can he? And on September 30th, 2016, the trial against Bradley Gillespie was concluded. So
0: 30 days half September. Oh, I was thinking because you said March earlier, which was girl. Uh, when Esmeralda turned to the gun. Oh yeah, that's fast. <laughs> September
1: 26, 2016, the case. Progress to the jury trial. September 30th, 2016, the trial was concluded.
0: Yeah, for a murder trial, that's, that's pretty quick.
1: That's quite quick. And, and I've heard a lot in true crime circles, a lot of us, you know, when the news is breaking and it's breaking really fast, we always are like, well, there's a reason that jury came back really quick. It's either a really hard guilty or a really hard not guilty.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, like when all the Murdoch stuff happened. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I kind of was over it at the time. I just didn't want to dive into it any further. I had heard so much news for so long. Well, I remember texting you and we we have a group chat uh-huh. with, with a couple other people of being like I have not paid any attention to this trial whatsoever. And when I saw that the jury came back, I'm like, "Okay, he's guilty." Like, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they'd been given everything because he was lie, lie, lying the whole time, just lying his ass off. And the jury, they took like all the time it took. Like it, it was like every juror was like, OK, you guys just want to have like a cigarette and then go back in there and tell him how guilty yeah. he is.
0: Order a pizza and, and chill for a little bit. And then we'll head back in. Right.
1: Yeah. And then we'll head back in. We all kind of know what we're doing here. And the same happened to Bradley Gillespie with the jury of his peers returning the verdict of guilty to both counts of murder. The jury also found in favor of the state that Gillespie had a firearm on his person or under his control for each count. The trial court sentenced him to two indefinite prison terms with a minimum of 15 years for each count.
0: So this is kind of a random question, but with the the firearm, sorry to interrupt you. I just had this thought that. I'm, I don't think that you're going to have an answer, but I'm, I'm curious. Um, so with the, this extra firearm charge, if some, like, is there any possibility with this case in particular, he shot two people that he would not get that firearm charge? Like, is that like a fully separate thing or do they always go hand in hand?
1: I don't know. I think that in this case, with the preponderance of the evidence, it was wise to bring that firearm specification. I know that your counsel can either choose or not choose to pursue a firearm specification, but they both were shot.
0: like right. That, that's my exactly. That's why I'm curious about it because like it is Correct. a separate thing added on. but is there a world where it's like clear as day the victims were shot, but you don't get that firearm charge added on, even though it's brought up in the trial? Like, I do not know. Maybe if they... I just find it interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe if they... if they, Maybe they can add it on and just find you not guilty of it if they don't have any evidence linking you to the weapon. But I don't... I certainly couldn't tell you that much about Ohio. Uh, I,
0: I just... Maybe it's a question that I should ask the prosecutors, but it's just interesting. Like, if you were found guilty of the crime where the victims were shot, you... I believe understandably would be equally as guilty having the firearm, but is there a possibility where you're guilty of one and not guilty of the other? Find it interesting. Thought I'd throw it out there.
1: I find it, I would find that to be a very unique case, but in whatever in whatever world that didn't happen, I yeah, I imagine it would be very unique.
0: Yeah, I would think so. I feel like the
1: firearm specification kinda goes hand in hand. And the mm-hmm. only way it gets kind of dismissed is if they don't have maybe direct
0: evidence for you touching that. I'm not sure. But then how can you be guilty of the, the crimes? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I very much understand what you're saying. It's just, they're, they're, it. I just find this idea very, very interesting.
1: Right. It's also very interesting that it's state by state because the court also imposed a mandatory one year of prison time for each firearm specification. So I believe that's, the standard in Ohio, but yeah, you could. He could have been tried in a different state, and maybe that's not the standard. Maybe it's there's no firearm specification. I'm not sure. I recommend that y'all DM the prosecutors <laughs> and ask because it's interesting. It is interesting, especially in the gun culture that we're in now. You know,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah,
1: and. It was ordered that the murder terms run consecutively to each other with the specification terms to be served prior to the indefinite prison terms. So, like I said, you get those years no matter what. Thus, Mm -hmm. he's ordered to serve a minimum imprisonment of 32 years. But they sentence him to two indefinite prison terms. So really, I mean. He's getting life. Right. Gillespie was not deterred, though, and filed for an appeal. I'm sure he wanted to cast a wide net here on these objections to the case in that the hopes that one of them would stick. Because he presented six Mm -hmm. reasons that he
0: should be retried. Six reasons.
1: Mm Bullet-pointed list. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll see. wide Like, Bradley, did you have to stretch before that reach?
0: Yeah. Don't pull a muscle.
1: Yeah. He declared the errors in his case were one. The verdict of the jury is against the manifest weight of the evidence. Two. The trial court erred in denying his criminal rule 29 motions for acquittal when the state failed to present sufficient evidence to sustain a conviction. Three. Hmm. The court erred. Sick. So that was misspelled in his appeal. (laughs) I just wanted to call attention to that because we're going to hear that again that's a misspell that's a misspelling in your appeal documents but fourth objection the trial court erred by not providing to the jury instructions Wait, go regarding back to self- number
0: three you didn't finish saying number three
1: oh he th- it, the word pops up so <laughs> much it's i'm like who wrote these documents i'm looking so, at the paragraph
0: i'm like i see multiple
1: <laughs> there, there's so many who wrote this <laughs> three the trial court erred by not giving a jury instruction for lesser included crimes or lesser degree of murder when the evidence warranted such an institution
0: so he wants to add more crimes to his list
1: no, he wants them to convict him of a lesser sentence for the crimes he totally committed and is saying that the evidence warranted that they be given instruction for lesser degrees of murder.
0: You shot two people in the head. Yes, sir.
1: Correct. <laughs> yeah, you sh- Bradley, Bradley, you shot them in the head. And you see how wide ranging this is this is like yeah. we started we started with just one complaining that there wasn't enough evidence and the state didn't meet their burden which is so funny and a, another one about them not having enough evidence and then now we're mad at the trial court for not giving the jury instruction and then here the fourth error was that the trial court erred hmm, by not providing the jury instructions regarding self defense So, Hmm. I don't know if he's trying to pitch this now as he was defending himself. I don't know. Because he had a
0: four-centimeter injury.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Complaint number five. The trial court erred in not considering or ruling on Bradley's request for new trial counsel. So, now we've moved on. We're mad at the lawyers now,
0: too. It's the lawyers' So, it's everyone else's fault. Exactly. what's happening yes.
1: yes it's everybody's fault but bradley is including his counsel <laughs> and to wrap it up bradley would like to com- continue to complain in number six that the defendant himself was denied his rights under the sixth amendment to effective assistance of counsel so he's more whining about the lawyers
0: did so, he ever uh, ask for a new lawyer in the,
1: it, I don't, I, if it's been, rec- like,
0: if it happened,
1: I certainly didn't see it.
0: Because it, I, I don't, I, I think if you make that request, it does need to happen, and it's usually it, f- documented, at least at some point, that the request correct. was made.
1: So Correct. like, <laughs> yeah, it seems to me yeah. like he
0: just didn't make the request. No, because I know you found a lot of court documents. Doing I agree. This
1: uh, I agree. I just feel like he is just throwing spaghetti all over this wall and seeing what's going to stick. You yeah, because I do not think he requested new trial counsel. I think it probably would have been, like you said, documented somewhere. And you know what this sounds like to me?
0: sounds like he's in prison with all of these other people being like, oh, I once heard that this guy got out when he said this on his appeal. Write that down. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Very that. Very that. It is very like uh, all the way through the investigation from them not having enough manifest evidence, quote, or to convict or to his own defense counsel to the charges that they should be lessened. Like he is like everything everything yeah but i'm going to read you a little bit of analysis from the court so you get the general vibe of the judge's opinion on gillespie's guilt because i'm going to tell you it was fun for me to read and i hope for you to hear (laughs) in the court's review of the record for error one that the verdict is against the manifest weight of evidence the state hasn't met its burden essentially It was found that, quote, the state provided limited physical evidence connecting Bradley to either Hannah or Frank's murder scenes. However, the state did provide a direct link between Gillespie and a handgun that was used in the murders, specifically testimony from Esmeralda Ferguson. She testified to Bradley's confession to her as well.
0: So we do hear... that makes sense right like, So we i understand we, the argument of like okay he, it's not his gun technically and right. it is difficult to put him on the scene but he, right. you're also the one he's he, provide a motive for him right that fits right i does i doubt he's, esmeralda has a motive there right right the drug dealers of your ex-boyfriend
1: and, you know, their acquaintances, He know, she has a gun. He knows he can maybe borrow it off her because he she was his ex-girlfriend as well. You know, there's no telling exactly what, what kind of intimidation there was there. But she does testify to his confession to her. And, and she here... turned
0: the gun in.
1: Correct. Correct. So and here is where some other folks are going to come in with some things about Bradley, like I mentioned before because another point made in the analysis of error one was that an inmate at Paulding County Jail, Zachary Deal, had met Gillespie and had some information. Deal and Gillespie shared a pod together in the county jail while the case was pending. And Deal testified that Gillespie had confessed to him that he was smoking meth with Frank and Hannah and that, quote, Bradley felt disrespected, so he shot Hannah in the head. When Frank turned around and stabbed Bradley, he shot him in the head too.
0: So okay, there's so that the stabbing from.
1: That's the cut. Mm-hmm. Yes. So and and it should be noted that it took a lot of digging to find this this whole where he got the laceration from, and that he did he was in fact stabbed by Bradley. There were defensive wounds because so many articles just uh, you know but this is where that stabbing comes in
0: and and i also understand like okay it's hard to trust uh another inmate like they're they're catches with that
1: sometimes
0: mm, but this all fits it does all fit it does all it, it may it's painting a very very clear story that matches with everything else that we've heard
1: Right. So, like, he he felt disrespected. He shot Hannah in the head. Frank Tracy has just enough time to react to stab him, but is then also shot in the head as well. Mm -hmm. So, we now have a bevy of people testifying that Bradley did, in fact, commit these murders, but he was not done talking, according to the analysis. Gillespie also made statements to law enforcement officers implicating himself in the murders. Paulding County Sheriff's Deputy Robert Garcia interviewed Gillespie on March 20th, 2016, and testified at trial that Bradley had admitted to, quote, putting a gun to Frank's head in order to scare him.
0: To do the same thing he did, Frank did to Gillespie.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. An additional officer, Paulding County Sheriff's Deputy Jonathan Shane Dyson, testified that Bradley admitted to having, quote, the taste of blood in his mouth. Ugh. Yes. And further, to quote, the effect of the gunshots on him. Referring referring to himself, Bradley.
0: So <laughs> That's he... just, like, gross. Uh, that makes me, like, shiver.
1: Mm-hmm. And then of course these admissions were recorded and they were played for the jury.
0: I just love
1: I just love this analysis. Like this analysis of the error. Like the error is so silly. And they're like, they we recorded that and played it for the court. Do you remember that?
0: I'd also like to point out we're still on part one of his six part appeal.
1: Yeah, this is yeah. This <laughs> like, is his first thing that he's like there's so much that they're like hold on hold on we gotta defend this one real good and i'm glad they did
0: yeah like here's our receipts (laughs) exactly (laughs) sir we got them
1: (laughs) sir here's everything everything that happened everything you said we got it and the court made clear that according to ohio law quote the trier of fact is in the best position to observe the credibility of the witnesses and the weight of the evidence. This was made law in State of Ohio v. Crown. Quote, thus, in this case, the jury's determination of guilt in both murders was based in part on statements made by Bradley, which was, upon our independent review of the record, competent and credible evidence of his involvement. End quote.
0: I think that's a fair statement.
1: I agree. Further, the state provided the jury with Ferguson's handgun that she had turned in. We just discussed. So they're bringing this back as well. They're also saying, do you remember we, the state had the handgun.
0: Together and with the spent. We mentioned earlier the casing. Yes. Was in the car. T-
1: I was just about to say, together with the spent, the spent shell casing. Oh, there we the go. Jeep, So they had Ferguson's handgun together with the spent shell casing found in the Jeep, which had been determined to be the weapon used in the murders. The court said, thus, in our review of the record, we cannot say that the jury clearly lost its way by finding Gillespie guilty of the two counts of murder with firearm specifications as confident and credible evidence was provided to the jury to support its verdicts. Accordingly, the first assignment of error is overruled i bet he was smiling when he wrote that (laughs) oh yeah overruled so essentially the jury was provided everything they needed in evidence and came to a reasonable decision and this whole claim of the error is tossed nope not today bradley (laughs) we're gonna talk a little bit about the court's rebut to error number two as well don't worry i'm not going to go through all of them but Trust me, I could, and we'd be here for a while. (laughs) To refresh your memory, error number two that Gillespie claimed was that the state did not supply sufficient evidence, and that means that he should have been acquitted. Their statement for this was... Quote, we find as a matter of law that the prosecution presented legally sufficient evidence to the jury on Frank's murder and the firearm specification through his multiple admissions of guilt and link to the murder weapon. Thus, legally sufficient evidence exists in the record for any rational trier of fact to find that the essential elements of murder with a firearm were proven beyond a reasonable doubt in Frank's murder, and the second assignment of error is overruled.
0: And see response number one.
1: Yes. So here's where I (laughs) here's where I spare you all and say we could go through all of the reasons Bradley Gillespie complained about this trial and how wrong he was. But I'm going to condense it for you guys. So we're not here all night. And the court's opinion on all errors that Bradley claimed were overruled in Ohio court. They stated, quote, having found no error prejudicial to Bradley Gillespie herein in the particulars assigned and argued, we affirmed the judgment of the trial court. His appeal completely torn to shreds by judicial review. Bradley was on his way to spending, was on his way to serving two life sentences.
0: We know we, he escapes, so I'm very curious mm, Yes. How, yeah. Uh, but His appeals it. went this negatively, but he still managed to escape.
1: Yeah, he has time. He has time. In late 2016, it's not specified when Bradley Gillespie entered Allen Oakwood Correctional Center, according to the State Correctional Department, to begin serving these sentences. And now we're going to skip forward. Forward enough that we're going to get close to things that happened literally two weeks ago. <laughs> the first stop in this story... Begins in 2021, when a man named James Lee is taken into Allen Oakwood after being convicted of multiple charges, including breaking and entering, burglary, and safe cracking.
0: Oh, safe cracking. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's when smart. you don't hear terribly frequently anymore.
1: No. Smart guy, though.
0: And it, somehow,
1: yep. somehow, Bradley and James must have formed a friendship they likely communicated often and trusted each other implicitly based on what's about to happen. But none oh, no. of that, none of that is recorded anywhere yet. How the men came to bond and how they came to plan an escape from, from Alan Oakwood are not yet reported, but they would hatch just such a plan. On May 22nd, 2023 at approximately 8 40 a.m. Bradley Gillespie, he's now 50, and James Lee, who is 47, were last seen on prison surveillance cameras according to the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction and the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Warden Angela Hunsinger stuff disclosed that seven mandated headcounts failed to flag Gillespie and Lee as missing. Seven? seven girl seven oh my times goodness! seven how? times seven times they missed this how because did they like liter-
0: how Al- like did they like do with like alcatraz like build like a paper mache head i don't think so i there's internal reviews happening
1: and i'm like did they just straight up not look like or right. was it just like eh? We did the eleven o'clock one. It's probably fine. Speaking of the eleven o'clock one, that is when they find out that the men have disappeared. So May twenty third, eleven a.m. the next day. Eleven a.m. Yes, ma'am. Oh they were goodness. last seen. we got like May... through the whole morning. <laughs> yes, last seen May twenty second at eight forty. Not found so we're to be missing. Hours. Correct. So they first realized Lee is missing and then subsequently discovered that Gillespie was also nowhere to be found. The alarm was raised and a full manhunt was mounted for the double murderer and safecracker. It's
0: not a good combination.
1: No. During their investigation of the escape, police received surveillance video of Gillespie and Lee from a Home Depot parking lot in Evansville, Indiana.
0: The footage was so they went from, from around... Ohio to Indiana. So, like, they're next to each other. I don't know how many miles that is, but I'm assuming a decent amount.
1: Yes. So the footage was from around six hours before the pursuit of the convicts had begun. <laughs> <laughs> so they're still on the on the lam. They're, they've made it to Indiana. And no one has been even looking for them yet. However, this footage oh, showed this footage showed Gillespie walking with a pronounced limp. According to Henderson, Kentucky Police Chief Sean McKinney, it was the police's belief, quote, that he was injured during his escape in Ohio.
0: Which so makes we, sense.
1: Yes, so we see him limping. The police were still investigating how the men managed to escape and also were having to join forces in a massive tri-stay search for the two men. We now have forces in Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky working
0: this case. Did they just, like, walk out the front door? <laughs> like, how did they get out of the building? Wait till you hear, because I have so many
1: questions. Lee and Gillespie were believed to be traveling in a red Mercury Capri that was stolen in Auglaize County, Ohio, according to the state police. Auglaize is a 36-minute drive from the Correctional Center, so I think it's reasonable to assume that they somehow had another vehicle that transported them to the stolen car. Because here we go, I googled. If they had walked It would have taken seven hours and 45 minutes to even hit the county of Ogles, which just doesn't make sense with how quick this timeline is. Yeah. They they could have potentially walked it if they started as soon as they were off prison grounds, but I don't know if it is widely reported yet how the men figured out their escape. What was eventually released that i have so many questions about from the state department of corrections on may 26 2023 was that the two inmates absconded from the prison by quote concealing themselves in a dumpster
0: that just seems so like rudimentary (laughs) like it's such a simple thing
1: what like what that's all you have to say I've read so many articles on this case for this I've, I have like 14 sources and I've been looking everywhere for more on what this means like how did they steal the vehicle or did they hide with the trash in the dumpster how are they not discovered? like one thing I do
0: wonder is where did that dumpster end up like yeah, exactly. could that have taken them the 36 minutes down the street Exactly. That's my question, is, like, how were they
1: not discovered once the dumpster was at the end of its route? And uh, was that end of its route of that dumpster in Algoles County? And that's where they stole the car? uh,
0: Like, dumpsters, like, uh, aren't those, like, trucks compactors as well? Yes, that's what, I mean,
1: some of them, I... uh, I guess just the ones I'm used
0: to, like in my neighborhood, all have compactors in them.
1: Yes. So that would be an additionally dangerous part of this. But it's not specified. All that they said was they concealed themselves in a dumpster. And I'm like, that could mean so many things. And all of these questions. trash employee in on it? (laughs) I don't know. All of these questions have been fruitless so far by all my research. So if you find an article about how they got into this dumpster, where this dumpster was on prison property, what size it was, and what the hell was going on, email have you heard about this case at gmail.com. With the subject line, Kelly, this is about the dumpster. (laughs) And another unfortunate victim of this case, Gillespie's daughter, Shade Gillespie. Oh, no. He has a child. She released an emotional message for her father urging him to turn himself in. She said, quote, I want you in my life. I want you at my wedding. I don't want anything bad to happen. So if you could please just turn yourself in before anyone gets hurt, I would appreciate it. We want you safe. We want you back. That seems like a very reasonable request. She yeah. put that very reasonably. If you could please turn yourself in.
0: And you I can don't... also, like, understand the point of view of, like, wanting you, like, it, it it's difficult, like, realizing that your father has murdered multiple people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also it... understanding That a huge factor in that murder is the drugs. And if he has the ability to get off of them, he has the ability to live a life after prison, potentially.
1: Potentially, yes. And I think it is good here that she flags, like, please turn yourself in before anybody gets hurt. Because Mm -hmm. that's really the only outcome that comes out of a prison escape, usually, is somebody's going to hurt And on May 24th, 2023, at 3 a.m. in Henderson, Kentucky, which is approximately a five and a half hour drive from Allen Oakwood, police saw a vehicle that they knew to have been stolen. It was also reported as the type of vehicle the escapees were using, according to a police statement. The officers attempted to pull the vehicle over, but the convicts instead to speed away from the police to see if they could outrun them.
0: Which, unfortunately, is also a very common outcome of these yes, sorts ma'am. of situations.
1: Yes, ma'am. And it's also a bad idea because it wasn't reported who was driving, but during this high-speed car chase, the car carrying Gillespie and Lee crashed. hmm Very common. This led to the two men fleeing on foot. Apparently, James Lee was no track star because he was subsequently apprehended and arrested by Kentucky authorities after the escape. <laughs> <laughs> However, Bradley was gone. Wow. So he, we and we're ratcheting up now. the U.S. Marshals Service, Ohio State Highway Patrol, and Allen County Sheriff's Office were offering up to a $21,000 reward for information that led to Gillespie's capture. It had That's been a good three, amount of money.: Yes, it had been three days now that Gillespie had been on the run, and things were tense all around, with the public having been informed that Gillespie was free and that he was likely armed and dangerous. So, we've got like a tri-state area here of fear happening, right? Henderson, Kentucky police chief Sean McKinney said that work on the investigation had been going around the clock, and such such methods had been used as forward-looking radar or FLIR. I've never heard of that. I have I don't not know heard of that either. Mm-mm. I'm interested in what that is, but apparently mm. it's some sort of infrared. I did see a truck
0: driving around the other day that was for ground penetrating radar. Oh. In the city. (laughs) I was Mm. like, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, that is. They also used devices on helicopters, ground canvases, dogs, and five boats in the Ohio River checking the islands and shorelines. And they would become particularly... They definitely have a search going out. Right. They have everything happening. And these boats checking the Ohio River are particularly important in how our story comes to a close. Kentucky authorities had established a command post at the Hayes Boat Ramp where investigators had found a piece of Gillespie's clothing. It's not specified which piece or what they found, but they had found an article of his clothing. At 1.30 p.m. on May 28, 2023, a body was recovered from an area consistent with Gillespie's last known location. A boater traveling the Ohio River, who was unaffiliated with the search, came upon the floating corpse and quickly alerted police.
0: That's be awful to come upon.
1: Right? You're just out for the morning, and yikes. Once officers were on the scene, they determined that the body had been in the river for four to five days, according to Police Chief McKinney. McKinney also shared that the police had searched this area prior. However, they believe the body had not yet floated to the surface.
0: Mm, So
1: so the statement of four to five days implies that the same day of the car crash, the 23rd, Gillespie may have entered the river. However, I want to point out that the time frame on when a body will surface is difficult to pinpoint as it depends on the rate of decomposition. The putrefication of the flesh of the body produces gases that collect primarily in the chest and the gut. Two to three days is more common in warm, shallow water, but was not the case here, and that could have been for a, a variety of reasons. It could be because the Ohio River's average depth is between 3 and 20 feet. Both of those are pretty shallow, considering bodies of water. Parts of it are deeper, but they're artificially created by a series of dams in the river. The river's deepest point is 168 feet on the western side of Louisville, Kentucky. Henderson, Kentucky, where the body was found, is more than a two-hour drive from there and not near a dam in the river, so we can guess that the water Gillespie was pulled from was likely a middling depth enough that it sank during the first police search but had risen by their return
0: yeah well and as you're saying all this too i'm thinking like this is march water is probably Mm -hmm. pretty cold still which is slowing decom
1: yep yeah The, the water is cold in ohio in march yep yep so makes sense makes sense the body was checked against Gillespie's description. He was known to stand six feet tall and be around 200 pounds. When he was last seen on video, he had on dark pants and a white t-shirt. Police did not believe this to be a telling detail, though, as the footage was from several days before he was found.
0: I'm going to pause huh? you for a second. That siren in the background's really loud.
1: <laughs> oh, the one by and me. So you might, I hear yeah, it. Yeah, you know. might
0: want to uh, go back a sentence or two. Because it got really loud there for a second.
1: Oh, my God. These haters. Going to the hospital and shit. How dare they?
0: (laughs) Well, I have my, like, Um, noise cancellation on in my headphones. And mine, too. And I could
1: hear it. I could hear it.
0: Well, I'm just like, that's too loud. Like, that's not here. Like, that's in my alley, if it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was loud. I heard it through mine, too.
0: Yeah. I'd go back. Like, I think it started at that, like, second sentence threat after say says wait
1: okay when he was last seen on video he had on dark pants and a white t-shirt but police did not believe this to be a telling detail as the footage was from several days before he was found however all the physical factors of the body matched the description and the police believe that they had at last recovered bradley gillespie The same day, everything happened so quickly in this case, the same day, May 28th of this year, it was announced an autopsy would be scheduled for May 30th, 2023, to confirm police's suspicions, according to Police Chief McKinney. And here's where I, what I talked about before. Meanwhile, in Ohio, four correction department employees have been placed on paid administrative leave following an internal investigation by the correction department on how the jailbreak happened.
0: Yeah, they need to be held accountable.
1: Yes, for how I don't know that why that went wrong. I don't know why they're on paid leave.
0: Yeah, like they should be on leave. Yeah, period. But yeah, like it, says- I understand like wanting to like do an investigation and not be accusatory mm-hmm. in that way, but it that's a big mistake.
1: Seven headcounts. They yeah. had seven headcounts to find out these guys were missing, and they honestly did I'm surprised not.
0: it's only four employees with seven headcounts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the department says the investigation is ongoing. According to NBC News, the employees are listed as three correctional officers and a major. Oh. Yeah. So somebody a little higher up. Um, obviously, Well, I mean, you obviously have to have a leader here of this team of apparently um, not very observant folks. And... He drew that straw. A criminal investigation is also ongoing by the Ohio State Highway Patrol, according to the corrections department.
0: Like, I understand, like, maybe if it was, like, one shift. Like, I doubt these correctional mm-hmm. yes. officers are working yes. for more than 24 hours. Like, I can understand maybe, like, a yes. six-hour period, maybe even an eight-hour Correct. period. If yes. it's, like, one mm-hmm. Like two person, three person team of officers right. working in that cell or that block or whatever mm-hmm. at that given point, but over mm-hmm. twenty four hours is a lot.
1: It, it's that's a lot. I I mean I would also understand if maybe six or eight hours go by and a head count gets past you. I, uh, you know that I know that that's not acceptable, but it's defensible, but seven head counts is not very defensible to me.
0: Yeah.
1: And even stronger evidence that Gillespie is here is that after the body had been retrieved from the river, the investigators had been able to match two tattoos that Gillespie was reported to have to their cadaver. There you go. Yeah. So on May thirtieth, twenty twenty-three, the medical examiner also confirmed the existence of the tattoos at his autopsy. The decomposition made it difficult for them to match fingerprints, and it's been declared that they intend to have an expert double-check them again. However, at all point, uh, at this point, all signs are pointing to the body being that being that of the escape convict.
0: Yeah, and they might not be able to do fingerprints because he was also in the water. So it's it's a combination Sorry. of decomposition and yeah. the water.
1: Yes, and they and if they're correct, he was there four to five days in that water. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's that understandable not... that
0: he's completely unrecognizable.
1: Exactly, I was going to say that is going to water log your fingerprints. So I understand mm-hmm. why they want, like, an expert to do it, but they have, like, matched tattoos, they've matched the build, they've matched what they can. Law enforcement said on May 30th that the body may have drifted a bit in the river, but they determined that the body, that where the body was found, says a lot about where he may have gone in the river. hmm Henderson, Kentucky police lieutenant John Neville said, quote, My experience with drownings in the past is normally where the body comes up, it's pretty close to where they go in the water. So it looks like he probably went in at the Hayes boat ramp, but I don't know there's any way anybody can tell you one hundred percent. End quote. So it's sort of the same there. As the fingerprints, like, you know, we might not be able to tell 100% because of the water, because of the decomposition.
0: Well, and it makes sense, too, like, when you think about it, because your body does sink initially. Uh um, Until, as you mentioned earlier, like, you produce gases after you die, and that's what brings you to the surface. But it also makes sense, like, when you just think about, like, an anchor. The fact that it has, like, the resistance against the bottom of, like, the riverbank is what's going to help it stay in place with the weight. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what he is at that point. Yeah. So he's not going to move around a whole lot. Is the, it's the mm-hmm. same sort of design, like, thought, not design, but, you know what I mean? Like, same sort of
1: yeah. concept Scenario. now. Yeah, yeah that's the word. Yeah, yeah. And... And so apparently the spot where the body was recovered was consistent with where Bradley Gillespie had last been seen. Henderson police further said it was a good thing that they were even able to find Gillespie's body. They've said in past cases where people have jumped into the river, the police have been unable to find them. So.
0: Well, yeah, if you don't know exactly the way it, they moved. Mm hmm. Exactly. depending on the current and everything. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if you're nearer to that Louisville stretch of the Ohio river, that's deeper or you're near mm-hmm. one of those dams that's been created where the water, you know, there's yeah. On the same day, Gillespie's partner in crime, James Lee made his first appearance in Kentucky court and waived his right to an extradition hearing. This means he will voluntarily be returning to Ohio to face escape charges. Before that, he will face a grand jury in Kentucky to determine if he will face charges there for running from the police. It is set to convene Mm -hmm. June 27th to decide if Lee will be charged in both states.
0: Okay, so coming up in a couple weeks here.
1: Yes, ma'am. And that is the -the up-to-the-minute coverage I have on what's happening in the escape at the Allen Oakwood Correction Center in Lima, Ohio. I will say and so have authorities who have participated in both the search and investigation that we never revel in the death of someone else. We don't.
0: No, not at Gillespie. all. And I think like the way us talking about Gillespie's daughter, like mm-hmm. that, that's the goal is, is what she said is that right. he is found without anyone getting hurt. And that someday he has the ability to come home and, Go to her wedding and, and do all of that. Like, even though we don't agree he's a murderer. Like we, we agree that he's a murderer. We don't agree with what he did. Y- you want to see that ending happen.
1: Right. And she, you know, she very much was just... She very much just understood that he could get very hurt... In this process of this escape, and she did not want that for her father, you know. You could feel it. Yeah. I it, honestly, you guys, if you're like uh highly sensitive like me, I'm a Pisces, yo, we cry all the time, yo, what's up? <laughs> I don't recommend watching her video appeal because it's quite moving. The, I I feel so bad. She's another victim of this crime. Absolutely. His daughter. And like Sam said, Gillespie was a double murderer and an escaped convict, but justice done would have been him serving his entire double life sentence at Allen Oakwood, not this. This just brings yeah. a new level of heartache for innocent victims like Gillespie's daughter, who is now separated from her father forever rather than just by the prison system's rules. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. also incredibly triggering for the families of Hannah Fisher and Frank Tracy Jr., who had to receive the call that Gillespie was on the lamb and most likely armed and dangerous. That has to be terrifying. Yeah, I can't
0: imagine that.
1: I, you know, and while he was just acquaintances of the victims, perhaps the loved ones of those victims knew gillespie and were afraid and i though it came in such a gruesome way i'm glad that hannah fisher and frank tracy jr's families will be able to have enough closure to know that they can look over their shoulder and not see bradley gillespie
0: Mm-hmm. yeah just even being in an area where there's a prison escape -hmm. Like that—that's just—that's a lot that the community is dealing with.
1: It's terrifying, yes. And they did—the cops did release that he was out. They could not find him, and that he was armed and dangerous. And and like I said, this was a tri-state manner, so it's a whole Mm -hmm. air, a whole region really of that Ohio River area that's just terrorized by this.
0: Yeah, I know. When I was. Uh, living in Wisconsin, we have a, a jail close to us. Um, and it, it's, it's not for, I don't think like there's even really any murderers in this jail. Um, it's a very small facility. And then there's another bigger prison further away, but we, there were escapes from there mm-hmm. growing up. And so there, it like we have definitely heard on the news before, like in my tiny community, escape uh-huh. convict. Yeah. Like, be yeah. on the lookout like mm-hmm. it, jail was like 20 miles from where i lived uh <laughs> um, right and so i right. I remember like hearing that in the news and like none of them i don't ever remember a report of armed and dangerous ever, ever. with these and yeah. I there were probably like four or five when i lived up there it, it wasn't a small number of escapes <laughs> from and this i'm jail.
1: sure that's I'm sure that's very scary. Every time you receive that notification, like, holy shit, I got to check on everyone I know and make sure no one is out, and I got to make sure my own self is safe with all my doors locked. You know,
0: right? It, like, I remember just like seeing on the news, like, wow, wow like, yeah, like, keep an eye out.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, look, it's it's a and lot of and that like, was not used... like
0: violent situations ever. Like, they usually yeah. just resolved with the police finding them. Mm-hmm. running around the woods
1: right? and right. took them back <laughs> bring, bring them back yeah.
0: so I can't imagine like all of this happening
1: yeah I told Sam while I was writing this script that I had only gotten through his trial and that I still had an appeal to go and then the crazy stuff started happening
0: <laughs> yeah well you told me like right before we started this that you're like this is kind of a weird case I don't know <sighs> how like how much we can discuss it. I, we we discussed this. We did. <laughs> this is, we did. This and is a crazy I, one.
1: Frankly, we discussed it and I have questions still. I, would I just have so like many to questions. <laughs> I would just like to point that out. I'm just on a Google alert for Bradley Gillespie because I still have so many questions.
0: Yeah. I hope that we have yeah. some sort of update, at least about how, like, how the escape happened in...
1: Right. How more did detail? this happen? Yes, I want more detail. And the the thing is, James Lee is alive, so he can recount this. So I'm sure it's going to be reported.
0: And I'm yeah, and I'm curious, curious like what the the punishment for those involved are.
1: Like, right. Where were there
0: other people involved? was the trash company involved or any mm. of the Correctional uh, guards officers, or anything, or, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I'm very interested to see how all of that plays out. But because it's so current, ev- all these investigations are still determining, you know, exactly what you just asked. You know, who's involved in this? How did they it plan just seems this? Too simple. Yeah, I want to know, like, how usually they- you,
0: you want to say, like, what's the simple solution? What's Occam's razor? Like,
1: right, right,
0: that makes the most sense. This seems too simple,
1: right. It doesn't make sense to me. And I hope that James Lee will sort of elucidate them meeting and how they came to trust each other enough to put together an escape plan and Mm -hmm. carry it out. And how it came to be that they carried that out. Because all I can picture when I picture them escaping in a dumpster is a truck with a long dumpster attached and them hiding in there with the garbage, but then every garbage truck that I've ever seen tilts that thing up and dumps all that shit out. And how would they not yeah, have Yeah, I was going to say, they don't
0: usually, like, take how would they not the dumpster found? with. Unless it's one of those, like, big, massive, right. open ones that, like, gets attached onto the back of right, like 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 a flatbed? semi-cab or something. Yeah, yeah, it could be one of those.
1: Yeah, and I'm just... I scared. have those right outside
0: my work door right now, so...
1: And so I'm curious, like, did they get in there or did they, like, legitimately steal the vehicle? And did... Oh, that's was, a, I didn't even
0: think of that. Interesting.
1: And was Gillespie, like, we talked about it, a ton of these things have compactors on him. Was the reason he was limping because he got injured by a compactor oh. in a dumpster? It's
0: like, like, how? Star Wars? How?
1: Yes, exactly. How? What's happening? <laughs> what happened? I need to know more. I need to no know more. But we, hopefully
0: I'm- there's more where we can do a follow-up. Hopefully. Yes.
1: yes. I'm keeping my eye out. I'll let y'all know.
0: <laughs> yeah, and if you all find articles,
1: Send it to we, <laughs> we, we want to
0: know. We want more answers.
1: I do. I do. Have you heard about this case at gmail.com? Give it to him, Sam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Well, here we go then. Thank you all for listening to Have You Heard About This Case. You can find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod on TikTok at H-Y-H-A-T-C, or you can email us at have you heard about this case at gmail.com. Thank you and we'll talk to you later.
1: Bye.